Welcome to the Freelance Indexer Exchange. I'm Michelle Giuliano, and I'd like to start a conversation with you about indexing. I sometimes find the business of freelancing lonely and isolating. How about you? Do you ever wonder whether it has to be this way? So let's talk about the hard stuff, because we can do better together. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be behind the mic recording the intro to the first episode of season two of the Freelance Indexer Exchange podcast. I've had quite the summer of indexing, a really full schedule of indexing, in fact, family fun and rain. Boy, did it rain here in New Hampshire. And did I mention all the indexing I did? I had planned to release bonus content for this podcast during the summer, but I ran into some editing issues. And once that was resolved, instead of releasing the content, I was off to my family vacation. I took a longer break this year, over three weeks, because I also took both my kids to college. But here I am, once again, with a full season planned out for you. I'm going to start with releasing some of the bonus content, and then next week, I'll have a regular episode for you. The bonus content will then be woven into the Season 2 schedule. I hope you'll join me for all the upcoming episodes. As always, feel free to reach out to me by dropping a note in the exchange box. I'll have a link in the show notes. Some of you wrote to me over the summer, and I appreciate all your comments and suggestions. Keep them coming. And now that you know the plan... Let's begin. In June, I had the most wonderful conversation with Enid Zafrin at her office in Alexandria, Virginia. For those of you who don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about Enid. Enid is an award-winning indexer and owner of Indexing Partners, a business she started in 1989. Indexing Partners creates print and electronic indexes, tables and lacorums, and also taxonomies. Specialty areas for indexing partners include law, public affairs, biography, social sciences, lit crit, and art. As if that's not enough, Enid also offers an indexing boot camp, both online and in person, which provides one-on-one training for both new and established indexers. I had the wonderful opportunity of participating in Enid's boot camp twice, in 2015 and 2016. That's how I got to know Enid. It was an amazing experience. Not only did it help me jumpstart my indexing business, I also brought my indexing skills to a new level. Throughout her career, Enid has made significant contributions to the indexing profession. She served on ASI's board for many years and in 2004 was the ASI president. Not only that, When she was the chief of ASI's publications, she spearheaded a series of books on indexing called Index It Right. Do you have any of those on your shelves? I do. I have almost all of them, and they are such a valuable resource for me. Enid also co-edited several of the books in the series, including the bestseller, Starting an Indexing Business. She also wrote the long-running column in keywords called from A to Zafrin. Enid even helped establish the Institute of Certified Indexers. Enid is a gifted public speaker. She has been a popular presenter at publishing, librarian, and information association meetings throughout the U.S. and Canada. When she isn't indexing or teaching, Enid and her husband travel the world, often in the company of Kate Murtis, another well-known indexer. 
I consider Enid to be my mentor and my friend. When I sat down with her in June 2023, I was interested in hearing about her career trajectory. After 40 plus years, she had a lot to share. In our conversation, she detailed her triumphs as a publishing professional and as a woman. Enid brings to life the history and transformation of the indexing profession and the publishing industry since the 1970s. I am sure you will find her story to be as enlightening and inspiring as I did. Please join me now for the first installment of our conversation as my questions prompt Enid to recall the mid-1970s through the early 80s, along with how she started her indexing business. I'm so happy we're here this morning. Can you tell me about your business and the services you provide? Okay. Um, My business's name is Indexing Partners, and it's located in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. So in 1989, when I was between jobs, I started my indexing business, and my friend Dave Ream, whom some of you might remember from years back, came up with the name indexing partners. Because in my business, right from the beginning, it was never just me. I always worked with other indexers. And I had a group of subcontractors. And they were people that I had trained. So we all indexed in the Enid way. And I could say to clients who had big projects, it's going to look like one person did this index because we're all going to work on it together. We'll be able to do it faster that way, but it's going to look um, transparent to the user that there were multiple people working on it. And I always liked having a group of people that I worked with, maybe because I sort of like telling people what to do. My husband always found it a great relief that I had this outlet. Otherwise, it would have all fallen on him. So this worked out great for my marriage as well as for my business model. Well, that is a very interesting story. And how did you get into indexing? Well, I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had a degree I'd gone to college and then in Kentucky, I had gotten um, a master's in library science. And right after that, my first husband and I moved to the Cleveland area. And it was 1975 and I was looking for um, a library job and there were no library jobs. And so I saw an ad in the paper from uh, a legal publishing company that was looking for proofreading uh, people and thought, well, I'll go in and try that. So I started working there as a proofreader. And then one day somebody said, you have a library degree. You know, we index here. And I said, oh, I didn't take that course. And they said, it's not a problem because we'll train you how to index. And so they gave me a stack of literally index cards and said, okay, we're going to start from the very beginning. And you actually wrote them out longhand. Or some people actually used a typewriter, and they were very fancy because they had the cards that were in a big um, stream, and then they would rip them apart at the end of the day. So they would be like an hour of ripping. (laughs) 
And then, (laughs) and then uh, you'd spend another day of alphabetizing. And then these cards would go off to a different department to get typed and put into the mainframe computer, which actually was a computer that lived in another whole building because it required a special air-conditioned room and there were many big computer machines. And um, it looked like we were running moon launches at that time from having so many computers. And um, it all got typed in and then printed out on these dot matrix printers and the next day delivered back to you. And then you could start the proofreading round of your index where somebody would have the actual cards and read them to the other person who's looking at what the typist had typed from the cards. So you can imagine that um, I happen to have very good printing. But after a while, this got really tough on your hands to doing all this writing. And I came up with the idea that I would dictate into a little tape recorder my indexes. Except I, I still have a trace of my Boston accent, but back in the 1970s, it was even much stronger. And people would be like, she would say things like, you know, um, uh, okay, the entry is going to read like, put the car in the barn. And they would be like, okay, we're going to just make some approximation of what those sounds are. And so, you know, I would get back to proofread very strange things. And then after a while, you got tired, your voice got tired, and you'd say, take that entry and flip it. And so I would have to send them a key that when I said flip it, it means take whatever the sublevel was, make that the heading now. But, you know, they couldn't, like, understand that, like, if the sublevel was a long line, I meant just take those first two words of the sublevel and flip them. And so the, so then my directions just became too arcane and you would get back very strange entries. So then I would mix this up with the writing. And uh, so that's how indexing was done. That's where I learned how to index. And at that time in the 1970s, it was not um, uncommon for publishers to have their own in-house indexing departments as opposed to the times we live in now where you can't find them anywhere. Yeah, here I am thinking, oh, it would be nice for a publisher to have an indexer. And back then they had an indexing department. Right. Wow, so you had a whole team that had to put together right. one index. Wow. Or, you know, people had individual books that they were working on, but everybody was doing it in the style that they had learned at this publisher. Mm-hmm. And then while I was there, I decided to go to, lib- to go to law school because I wanted to move ahead in legal publishing. And I realized that I had a couple of handicaps. One was that I didn't have the credential, and the other was that I was a woman in a field of law that was at that time heavily dominated by men. I mean, it was probably 90% or more male. So even after I got my law degree, I went to night school, but I still went through law school in three years and worked full time. So after I got my law degree, unlike other people who were just trying to set up practices or whatever, I always knew I just wanted to work in law publishing. 
And I love the law, but I love it in an ivory tower sort of way. I, I find that certain aspects of law, the practice of it, as I would hear from friends, was being somewhat a social worker, somewhat of being um, an advanced uh, clerical person of doing a lot of forms and just filling things out and filing. And uh, so I never wanted to practice law. And so I never had the pressure on me in law school the way other people might have. On the other hand, I did do law review. And, and that means I was like in the top 10% of my class. And, you know, but, but I really enjoyed law school because I was there for a totally different aspect of it. I love reading the law and I really learned from the law how to live, I hope, by a reasonable person's standard. That when different things present themselves to you in life, you have to evaluate, am I being reasonable? Is this what a prudent, reasonable person would do? And that really um, resonated with me from the very first time I found out about that standard in my legal studies. And uh, I've really felt like going to law school has paid me back in so many ways. So, Do you think your experience in law school also influences the way you create indexes and the standards you apply to your indexes? The fact that I feel there should be standards just like there's standards for attorneys, I think does play into the fact that I see law as a well-established profession that has uh, ethical guidelines, that has uh, a whole education set of classes set up that people go through, and um, that they then at the end pass a bar exam, which I did. Because I felt like I'm not going through all of this at law school and then not take the bar exam, even though I knew I never wanted to practice. But it would be like doing all the coursework and then saying, but I'm not going to sit for the orals and actually get the PhD. But I've written the dissertation. I've done everything, but I'm just not going to show up the day of the orals. Well, that's to me like leaving an open uh, loop in your life. So I wanted the closure of with my classmates going and sitting and taking the bar exams, which I did. So I felt like now... I can legitimately say I have a JD, I have uh, admission to a bar, and um, and that gives, you know, a whole meaning to uh, not just saying, oh, I, I, re I read some cases, you know, I went through two years of law school or something, that, that there's a whole um, program that is acknowledged throughout the whole country with a set of schools that are accredited that people go to and get this credential. And um, I then even went on and got the next credential you get in law, which is an LLM, a Master's of Law, which you get after the JD. And, and I picked a specialty of labor law for that credential because I didn't take labor law when I was in law school. And I found that as I... Um, read cases and 
had different experiences as being a manager of a department, it was nice to know more about law that governed work interactions. That's fascinating. So you, you, would, you don't just have your undergraduate degree, you have a law degree, you have a master's in library science, and you have a master's in labor law. Yeah. That's very impressive. <laughs> that is very impressive and something I didn't know about you. That's fascinating. Well, you find that many indexers, such as uh, a close friend of mine, Kate Murtis, has a PhD in medieval studies that it's not unusual for indexers to have advanced degrees. I agree. But you kept going in your indexing career, pursuing advanced degrees, which is something that you don't find most indexers do. Well, at that point, I had moved into editorial. So after I got my law degree, I always think it's sort of like Mick Jagger. You know, he was in the Rolling Stones, and he had quite the career there. But he always thought I could go on my own. I don't need to stay with this group. I'll go out on my own. And I was always like, I I could rise above these indexing people and I could go into editorial. It's the next step up. And I did. I became vice president of the editorial group at the law publisher in Cleveland, Ohio, where I worked at Banks Baldwin. And, um, and I did that, and I uh, felt that I still, when I would come into the meeting, I, I reported to the owner of the company. He was the president, and I was the vice president. We'd come into a meeting with maybe a judge or uh, an attorney, and that person would turn to me and say, I like my coffee black. Because it was, you've got to remember, we're in, I graduate law school in 1982. At that point, in the law class, only 10% of the class are women. Wow. So when I come into the meeting, they think I'm there to take the notes and take the drink order. And my whole life, I've never been a coffee drinker, and I don't even know how to make coffee. And I've made it a mission of mine to never find out. I really haven't got a clue how you make coffee. And so I could literally turn to the person and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to make coffee, but uh, let me introduce myself. Or my boss would say, this is Enid Zaffron, and she's the vice president of editorial. And they would sort of go, oh, and there was nobody there actually to make coffee. (laughs) So they'd probably have to send out. But it certainly wasn't going to be me. And, uh, And so I then decided, all right, I went to a local law school and got my degree. And I did fine in law school. But, um, I did up what they call almost like whitewashing. I upgraded my degree by going to Georgetown and getting my LLM there. Mm-hmm. So, th- and, But it still didn't help me in terms of this coffee-making <laughs> stigma <laughs> that, was, that was attached to women professionally at that time. And like I say, I loved reading the law and studying the law. And so by doing that additional year... I got to specialize. I got to take some courses I hadn't previously taken. 
I saw that, you know, sure, I went to Georgetown, I did fine, you know, and I got this degree there. I I really believe in education and I love education. Mm-hmm. So you would strongly encourage other indexers to keep pursuing other degrees if they want while they're in their indexing career. Sure. I think that, you know, having a specialty and also showing the advanced degree, I can't speak for all the people who got PhDs who are indexers, but many of the ones I know are some of the most successful indexers because if you're indexing in the scholarly field, that FIT group values the advanced degrees and they'll go and hire those indexers first and they'll also pay those indexers a slightly higher rate. I'm not saying indexers without those degrees maybe don't get that rate, but it's less of a hard sell that you have these credentials and now you expect to be paid for your specialty. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so for indexers out there who are indexing in very specific fields, you also encourage them charge a higher rate because you deserve it because you have the school and you have the degree behind you right? and the experience. Right. Absolutely. So now you're in DC. Did you, what brought you to DC? Was it a change in job or was it specifically to go to Georgetown? So after I went to Georgetown, I went back to Cleveland and continued in my career there. But I realized it was a family owned company And much as I had been promised many different, um, you know, stock in the company, which never happened, a company car, which never happened, and various other things, I was never going to be part of that family. This was as far as I was going to go. And they were a publisher of state law. So they published for the states of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana, and Pennsylvania. So that was like on the state level. So I decided to pursue um, a national company, a national publisher. And because I had been in DC at Georgetown, I realized that with my credentials, my set of credentials, I would be very employable in the DC area. Mm -hmm. I would have no trouble getting a job there. I particularly had my eye on the Bureau of National Affairs, which at that time was a company that was employee owned. And that really appealed to me coming from a company that had been family owned. Everybody who worked at BNA, the Bureau of National Affairs, I'm going to use BNA, the acronym, could own stock. And so it just so happened I went to a meeting of the American Association of Law Librarians, the AALL convention. And I went over, you know, all the different publishers would have booths. And I went over there. And over the years, I had met somebody who was um, uh, high up in their editorial offices. And so I went over there to speak to him on this particular day. And he said, the woman who's running our indexing department has resigned and we're looking for people to apply. And I remember you from years ago, give me your resume and I will take it back. How fortuitous. And so after that, 
I uh, went through a very lengthy interviewing process during which I was sent, for instance, for um, personality testing to Philadelphia to see a, um, a career developmental psychologist as if that's the only person in the whole country. It's not in D.C. where the job's going to be, and it's not where I'm living. But no, I have to go to a totally different city and meet this person. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite things was on the uh, questions they said, they had questions such as, do you make your own shoes? And I always wanted to meet the person who answered yes to that question. Another question I was asked was, um, do you have your own hair? <laughs> So I wanted to meet the person who made their own <laughs> shoes and had somebody else's hair, obviously, as a wig. But how this was going to apply to my running an indexing department, I wasn't exactly clear. Anyway, I did get the job, and I came to BNA where there was a department of over 40 indexers. So it was one of the largest in-house indexing departments in the country. Wow. And I had a staff where there were five managers who reported to me, and I was the director of indexing services over those people. BNA produced in the legal market what were considered the Cadillac of publications. They were not inexpensive publications. They were aimed at Fortune 500 companies. They were uh, aimed at attorneys accountants, um, you know, CPAs, um, in-house counsel at huge corporations. They had a very good benefit package and pay structure because as I keep impressing on you here is it was employee owned. And one of the first things I did was I went to the president of the company and said, I have my own indexing business. It's a freelance business and I want to keep that business. So you had, so can I interrupt for a moment? Yeah. You had a freelance indexing business while you were at BNA or did that start back in Ohio? So I had left Ohio and decided that um, I, well, I left Ohio and I went to uh, New Jersey to go to Prentice Hall where I was an editorial director of a group of publications. And I was there for all of eight months. And I was not very politically attuned to what was going on. And they sold that piece of the company at oh. the eight-month point. The company that bought those publications didn't take any of the employees. So everybody on my level was like, let go. Oh, wow. And at that time, though, I got a very good severance package. I had been there eight months, and they gave me three months full paid severance and said, we will move you anywhere in the United States you want to go. And I knew I wanted to go to D.C., because I knew I certainly didn't want to stay in New Jersey. <laughs> and so I knew that with my credentials, 
that I would get a job in the D.C. area. But I was between jobs. And that's when I started indexing partners because I said, you know, I need income while I'm looking. I was not in a very good place financially because I had not been well paid at the family owned company. And so I was, and I had student loans from law school. So I really needed to have an income stream. And uh, again, Dave Ream said to me, well, you can index. Why, why aren't you doing that? And why don't you start a company? And that's when he came up with the name Indexing Partners. So in 1989, for the four months that I was like between jobs, I had started Indexing Partners. And I realized I never want to be in a position again in life where the company is sold out from under me and nobody's thinking about the employees at all. And I don't want to be in a position where I can't, uh, I don't have any fallback. I'm a, at that time, I was a single person. I was my sole support. I needed to take care of myself. So I had started this business and I had friends throughout the years who I had either worked with or I had met at conferences who said, oh, I'll send you indexing from my legal publishing company. So I had already started getting a steady stream of business. And then some friends, meanwhile, had moved on and one of them was at Gallaudet University Press, which is going to become one of my first clients. Then they get a different job and they end up over at Georgetown University Press. So they become an early client. And so through that network, I have already started to develop this business. So when I get to BNA, in my very first few weeks there, I go to the president of the company and say, I have my own business. I want it to be acknowledged that I can continue he says, as long as you don't do anything that would be detrimental to BNA, that's fine. And I said, and I want you to write a letter to this effect and put it in my personnel file. So your law school degree really helped inform you of how to negotiate this interesting right. impact. Right. So it never was a secret. Mm -hmm. I was never like, um, couldn't say it to anybody. Mm -hmm. And then... Because they were employee-owned, they had the philosophy at that time, which you wouldn't probably find in a corporation today, but they didn't feel like they owned me. They didn't feel like every minute that I worked, every thought I had belonged to them. Mm -hmm. So they were like, this is fine. You know, we think it's great. You have this entrepreneurial streak but you still can contribute to our company. So what you do in your own time, as long as it's not to the detriment of BNA, and I got this in writing and it was in my personnel file so that it could never be brought up to me later on, like what is going on here? Mm -hmm. That was very important to me. And I'm not saying it would have been a deal breaker that I would have quit because the position at BNA was a wonderful job. So there you have it. You just heard Enid explain how she got into indexing and her initial employment as an indexer. 
why she pursued her law degrees, and how she established her business, Indexing Partners. Enid will continue her story in a future episode where she will talk about her job at BNA in the 80s and 90s and how she managed a team of 40 indexers. In that episode, she also will discuss how her team integrated indexing and computers. Now it's time for the See Also segment of this episode. This is when I point you to some information related to the episode. Quite a few of my listeners are new to indexing, so I'd like to highlight a book that Enid edited, along with Joan Shapiro, another wonderfully talented indexer and also a friend of mine. Hi, Joan. I hope you're listening. It's the bestseller that I had mentioned in the intro, Starting an Indexing Business. I have the fourth edition on my bookshelf. It was published in 2009, but the information detailed in the book remains relevant today. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. There's something for everyone in this book, for both new and experienced indexers. Enid and Joan both contributed chapters to this book. Enid wrote a chapter about the results from a mini survey. It's a mini salary survey that she conducted along with a chapter on liability and exposure issues for indexers. Very important. Joan wrote two chapters, one about packagers, and she wrote the opening chapter with Christine Michaud about becoming an indexer. Pilar Wyman, another talented indexer, contributed checklist for starting an indexing business, which is still relevant today, in her chapter about the business of being in business. Fran Lenny, who shared Syndex with the world of indexers, wrote the preface where she described indexing as a career and the aptitude and traits required to be a successful indexer. Like the rest of the book, what she has to say is as relevant today as it was almost two decades ago. There's even a sample letter of agreement at the end of the book, which you can use today. I was delighted to see the indexer of the book credited in the table of contents. And that indexer is the person who introduced me to indexing, Christine Hoskins. So if this book isn't on your shelf right now and you wanna learn more about starting and running a successful indexing business, don't hesitate to pick this one up. At the time I recorded this episode, the link that I'm sharing with you had this book on sale. Now, I'd like to thank you, my listeners, for joining me for this episode. I'll be back next week with a regular episode. Future installments of my conversation with Enid will be coming soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freelance Indexer Exchange. Until next Monday, be well and do well, and happy indexing. Happy indexing.